Hey everyone, I'm George Edelman, Editor-in-Chief at No Film School and host of the No Film School podcast. And welcome to this week's episode. I am joined by Gigi Hawkins. Hello there. And Todd Blankenship. Hey everybody. And we're still missing you, Charles. And this week we're talking about <laughs> this week we're talking about a lot of cool stuff. We're talking about comments made by filmmaker Robert Eggers and comments made by filmmaker star Bradley Cooper and how they kind of mirror each other and get into sort of the state of Hollywood and the state of feature filmmaking and commercialism and indie filmmaking and art and all that good stuff. And we're also talking about some new releases from DGI. And I want to do a quick shout out. It is today when we are recording Juneteenth. So we're going to talk at the very end about some movies we want to highlight or at least think about during this week or this time. So with that said, here we go. All that and more on the No Film School podcast. Up first, we're going to talk about Robert Eggers. So Robert Eggers said in an interview, we are living in a tiresome, lame commercial culture of filmmaking. And I think what's interesting about this, that's kind of the, the poll quote, but what he really said, I'll give the full context. This sounds super uber precious, but I think it's hard to do this kind of creative work in a modern secular society because it becomes all about your ego and yourself. And I am envious. This is the horrible part. He said that. I'm envious of medieval craftsmen who are doing the work for God. And that becomes a way to, you get to be creative and to celebrate something else. And so what he's talking about here, I think, is that it's not about his ego, meaning it's not about his voice. It's not about his perspective. It's not about what he thinks is best as a creative. He's serving a higher purpose. And what I love about this is it runs in absolute contrast to everything filmmakers say, executives, festival, programmers, everybody I talk to, everyone around the industry always says, it's all about your voice. It's about you. It's about the story you can tell and how you can tell it only your way. And Robert Eggers is out here saying, I don't want that. I don't want to do it. I don't want to think about it. I wish I could make movies for something outside of me. And I, I love that, that he's, he's tacking, I guess, that he's going against the grain here. And I don't love all his movies or all the, everything about all his movies. But one thing I love, and I interviewed him about The Northman, and this was the really fun thing. It's on this podcast. You can find it. One of the fun things we talked about was this idea that he was 100% serving what he thought would be the best most honest way to represent that time period. He approached that movie really like, I want to show people what it was like then. I want to bring them into that time. I want to give them that experience. It's not about what I think is best. He, he, kept, he defers to the what would be historically accurate. So as a director, we all know you get to make a lot of million, you get to make a million little decisions where it's like, should this be red? Should this be blue? Should this be higher? Should this be lower? Should this light come in that way or this way? Should this accurate... And for him, the decision was never, well, what do I think is best? The decision was always, what would be most accurate? And that's what he's talking about with the idea of serving God. He doesn't mean like any specific God per se, I don't think. I think what he means is this, a, a concept outside of himself that's bigger than his voice and his ego. And that, to me, is just a fascinating counterstatement to what we've got. So what do you guys think of it? 
Um, I, I think, um, my, my initial thought when I heard the quote was like, that was a point made in a way that I'd, I'd assume only a filmmaker like Robert Edgars would make like the way that he said it is it, it's a very unique kind of way to put a sentiment that I think I've sort of been reflecting on a lot myself. And it's like, yeah, that whole thing about ego and filmmaking and, and how much, how much that sort of, I don't know, it's, it's, it's the way that I guess social media has infiltrated the, the world of filmmaking and the, the way that we kind of interact with movies and everything and, and sort of these characters that directors and filmmakers become that there's this sort of ethos around all of them. And, and, you know, it's, it's kind of like one of those things where it's that, that ego thing is just really kind of like killing a lot of my joy about movies these days. And so, yeah, I, I you mean, as I a, really, as a, as a creator or as an audience? Oh, definitely both. Okay. <laughs> yeah, definitely both. But I, I think, I think, yeah, like I'm very aware of the fact that I am a a, a white man in America, and I, like a lot of times, I just have this thing, like, I don't, what I have to say doesn't freaking matter. <laughs> like, who who wants to hear my thoughts on shit, like stuff? Like, who, why? Like, why would I make a movie? You know, and it's that sort of thing where it's like, in my own sort of journey, and like sort of. I, I guess wrestling with my own ego as a creator and all that sort of stuff, and and just generally thinking, you know, obviously it's m- mostly imposter syndrome, like just worrying that sure. I don't have anything to offer. And so I think what he's talking about is like making a, a f- making art for something bigger than yourself, which is obviously he he went with the route of like talking about ma- making it for God, which is obviously how art was done for you know centuries. But I think, yeah, it's it's for me it's when when i do my best creating it's like when i'm i'm just kind of putting stuff out and and being like whoever this connects with and and feels something from this that's why i did it not to like make myself feel like i'm bigger or whatever and i think i think that's i don't know i i i, I guess that's what he's kind of saying yeah sense. i think a little bit i'm i want to pivoting to to Gigi's thoughts i want to um crystallize the the question a little bit because I think, Todd, part of what you're saying is as an audience and as a creator, you're both creators and filmmakers. So, Gigi, when you are kind of in the heat of making lots of decisions and stuff, do you think about it like, this is what I think is best? Or do you try to do that? This is what's best for this story. And where do you think he's, do you think he's kind of talking about that, like as a creator and as an audience? What are your reflections? I I have, so many thoughts on this. Um, I'm sort of like stewing over here. Uh, first of all, <laughs> Eggers is one of my favorite directors. The Witch is my favorite movie. I It's the only movie I own on DVD. Whoa. But, I didn't so so you know. I, <laughs> you didn't, you didn't exactly. at least go for the Blu-ray? You went DVD with even, it? Here's the thing. I don't even have a DVD player. So that goes to show. Oh, okay. I just want to be able to take it to Airbnbs when I go to the cabins in the, in the woods and oh, show nice. my friends, okay. which is I feel how that. I got it on DVD. I think... So I'm conflicted about this because, again, I, I think he's an incredible filmmaker, but I feel like it's such a, a privileged position to think that as an artist, as a creator, like you are creating something that's for a greater good or for in service of the story. And I let me sort of back up and say this is coming from a position of like I spent many years 
thinking that my voice, my perspective, anything that I was doing was not good enough, not worth being heard or told because I wasn't like the funniest person in the acting class. Like I had a totally different career where I discounted myself as a creative. So I'm just starting to come around to this idea of like as a creator honoring the story and honoring myself and my perspective. So it's so hard to latch on to this idea that like the thing I'm creating is like absolutely needs to be told into the world because there's this huge imposter syndrome that I'm getting over. And I think that's like a part of the female experience, honestly. And I, and what's interesting is learning about like Eggers' background, he has been creating in this prolific way since he was a kid. He, you know, uh, in that New Yorker interview, he was talking about like interview. Yes. I recommend it to anyone. Talks about all, I mean, he comes off as like a, he's, he's basically a living Wes Anderson character, (laughs) but anyway, you should read it. It's great. What's interesting to me is that in this article that were that you referenced originally, George, uh, he talks about his North Star being like, well, what is the most accurate thing to this time? How, that being what ultimately makes his decision. But, you know, I, I feel like that's not necessarily true with the story that he told with the Northman, because it's a story about where the female characters are there just in service of this male story and 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 so I watched it and I was actually you know it felt dated it felt like it was made in a in the early 90s because the female characters didn't have the same autonomy that I would have wanted them to which is a bummer because I love you know I love the witch so anyway I I I think it's interesting that you call out that 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 historical accuracy was his north star because I I I don't necessarily see that. And and back to this idea of like making art for something bigger than yourself, I think that does veer into like sometimes a dangerous territory. And again, I struggle with this because I see that you need to service the, the story. And as the director, like I have to almost remind myself that I'm not here throwing a party and making sure everyone on set is entertained. I need to like get what we need to get and so that's like a personal thing that I struggle with. But I also, you know, see the sort of danger of people skewing too far into the territory of, of artists and and dismissing all the sort of repercussions of what happens if you if you only focus on the story. And that's something that like I across the board, indie and commercial productions, like I fear exists in this business. Yeah, it's it's you make some really good points and I want to be clear I don't want to put words in his mouth. I don't remember verbatim the way he spoke about uh, his service to the period. I remember he and I discussing that and I definitely think like we talked about how it was a north star. It may not have been his only one. Obviously mm-hmm. there was the whole mythology of Hamlet that was that right. was a, a Hamlet and the Norse mythology that inspired it. So he was going into deep, like, I mean, there was a lot of folklore stuff that was not just like, this is exactly what happened in, you know, the ninth century, I think it is. So there's a lot of forces there. And I'm sure there could be a book written just about like his attention to detail and what it was coming from. So, but I know one of them was absolutely historical accuracy, but I do. And I do think that part of it is that he is, it's interesting to think about it as like, like Todd says, like a white male versus a female voice or any other voice, like maybe for Robert Eggers, white male, 
it's kind of comforting to be like, yeah, this isn't about me and my white male perspective, even though mm-hmm. it's always going to be right. Cause we can't not be who we are, but it's, it's like, I'm trying to, trying to do something that's in service of something else than just like another white guy's perspective. And again, that's yeah. me assuming, I don't know. He never said that as far as I know, but I, I do think it's interesting to consider that to me, I always thought in an uneducated way, that medieval art was sort of like a failure because it was all so dedicated to ideas of representation of faith. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that I evolved past that at some point when I started like actually learning about medieval history and medieval art and realizing it, was, it wasn't really like, that was just their muse, I guess, that, they, <laughs> that every artist was kind of building off of. And then it, right. it, you know, as opposed to being kind of like more of a free reign, but everybody's going to find their North Stars. And so it's it's just an interesting to think about what makes a director or a writer, what motivates them, what guides them. And if your imposter syndrome is a big part of the, well, I don't know. It's not up to me. I shouldn't be the mm-hmm. one to decide. Let me look outside myself and see if there's something else I can hang my hat on. And then on top of that, I think if if you'll allow me to almost segue into the other article that we wanted to discuss, there's an element of, you know, when somebody's in that creator position or that artist position, there might be some unexplored ego thing where they're almost like overcompensating and protecting themselves because there might be that imposter syndrome deep down or, you know, fear of being called out as, as a fraud. Yeah. Well, let's get into it. So in the other, the other headline, Bradley Cooper basically says that he was mocked by people he respected and knew at the Academy Awards for having as many nominations as he did. There's an article up on IndieWire about this. And there are, you know, there's a No Film School article about it because we covered it as well. But so he said a friend of his at the Academy Awards said to him that it was crazy that they were living in a world where he would have, he being Bradley Cooper, seven nominations And this other actress would only have three. And Cooper took that personally and said, bro, why are you such an asshole? In his mind, he didn't say that to the guy. (laughs) (laughs) And he said he would never forget that. But he also said it wasn't the first time he felt like he was being treated like an imposter. He mentioned that similarly for Silver Linings Playbook, somebody came up to him and said, I saw your movie and you deserved the nom and emphasized that he deserves a nomination and nothing more. So he obviously carries this stuff with him. He feels like he was slighted and talked down to by his peers. And there's a lot here. There's a lot going on. Number one, I personally think Bradley Cooper's amazing. I, I feel like he's made a lot of great choices and I love him in the movies he's in and I love what he's doing as he's becoming a filmmaker. And I'm really curious what he's going to... He had an amazing year last year. He was great in the Paul Thomas Anderson movie. He was great in Nightmare Alley. I even like him as the raccoon in the Marvel stuff. Like, I think he's (laughs) he's awesome. And I always think of him this way. He is in... Does anybody remember Inside the Actor's Studio? Do you guys remember that thing? Yes. Oh, yeah. The guy would talk to, like... Famous actors. I forgot his name. You're talking about um, that that one clip where he's SNL like did a great imitation of him. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. I, so are you talking about uh, that clip where he's like in in school and he's in the audience? Uh, and and he, who is he talking to? Sean Penn, right? Sean Penn. Yes, it was yeah, the Sean yeah. Penn one. And I always remembered that because I thought Bradley Cooper is that guy who is like they're just trying to learn, and it worked out for him. 
So he's always had an underdog quality to me. And my favorite, so I don't know if y'all listened to the actual podcast. It was the Smartless podcast with Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and uh, Sean Hayes. But he, in it, he t- the way he tells the story is like, I, whoever it is, so it, it, it was a, a famous actress and director who apparently had three noms. So I'm, I'm curious to go and look at who that m- might have been. But apparently, like the rest of the night, she was just like in the corners of each room going, like whispering, the nom. Adam, like, <laughs> <laughs> you deserved it. The nom. Oh, the nom. That like is like from a movie. That that sounds like a moment <laughs> from a movie. I, and the, it's uh, a, this is almost like the inverse of of Eggers. It's like people who are putting themselves in a position of like, you know, I am an artist. I am a creator. We don't like somebody who's dabbled in comedy. Like you're not one of us, and which is hilarious to me. I think there's like this tendency to sort of like almost be afraid of people who are trying new things and putting themselves out there in that way. And I see it in the comedy space and it's apparently in the elite Oscar circles of Hollywood, the same thing is happening, which actually makes me feel good. We're all just humans who are trying to <laughs> try I mean, to I, pull each other down. Yeah. I just am. I guess I, I shouldn't be surprised at all, but I can't, I just am always surprised, I, even though I shouldn't be, that people take these awards so seriously. Like, I mean, I know it has a huge impact on their, you know, ego and their earning power and their careers and all of that. And I know we make a big deal about it, but man, it's so dumb. I mean, it just is so dumb. And there are examples of so many filmmakers who are like, I'm not even going to that shit. Like because they're because they're like I'm Woody Allen. I'd, I mean Woody Allen's a horrible person, but he's like I'd rather watch the NBA All Star Game yeah. than go to the than attend. And this goes back through his. I mean, there's Marlon Brando skipping him. There's John Ford. I think won like four Best Directors and never came because he didn't care. But like I, That's I just such think a like power move. Yeah, it's like I think that I I guess I think it's like I'm not saying it's only cool. To be like, I'm too cool, I'm not going. I think it's cool to show up and love it and be all into it. But I think it's definitely the least cool to be a jerk about it and to and to act like it matters and act like there are people there who are undeserving. Like, who's deserving? Everybody there won the lottery. Like they won the life lottery, they won the <laughs> they won the industry lottery. Like it's so hard right. to just get work and to like it's such a slap in the face to the in- industry at large to be like, you deserved the nom. Like, who who doesn't? Who Like, everybody there is is just like walking on air, you know? And I, I, yeah. I that's the part of this that like stuns me and it makes me like Bradley Cooper even more than I already do because I feel like he kind of gets it and I feel like he's also grateful for what he's got, which is, and like, he's good at what he does. And yeah, like the idea of like, oh, you were in the, the Hangover movies. What are you doing at the Oscars? Like, the, hang- the first Hangover movie was great, and he was great in it. And I'm sure whatever movies those other people were in were not as good that year. I love a good late-in-life success. I mean, he was not even late in life necessarily, but it's like he was the student in the Sean Penn Inside the Actors Studio like many years before he got The Hangover. It feels like that allows somebody to like keep perspective even when they're like, even when they're in these elite circles. Whereas, you know, I could see if you're just existing in this world where like you can easily get caught up in it or not see the 
this, there's, there's like a bubble of protection around talent sometimes that like feels like it totally disconnects them with the world, with what's, Absolutely. again, what's human. It, I, I mean, I think that it's not even the fault. It's, it's like as much as my last rant seemed like I was assigning blame, people who are ensconced in success and celebrity from an early age, they truly get screwed up and it's hard for them to see outside of it. And it can be a, a problem in terms of, I mean, like there's all kinds of cir- circumstances that dictate like where someone's psychology and mentality is at. And in a way, he's, he may be lucky that you're right, that he had that. I mean, that, to me, that what I love about that being like uh, I, he was on, he was, he was in the crowd and he was, he was like you, whoever's listening to like a podcast where the guests come on and we ask them about how they made their movies or their careers and they tell us. And then one day it can happen. You can be that person and one day, you know, be at the pinnacle. And I think that that's just always a cool instance. Like it doesn't have to be something where you literally walk off the bus and you're discovered and et cetera, et cetera. Um, well, and I, I mean, I think I, Bradley Cooper, wasn't he about to give up on acting like right up until like, I, 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 remember reading that he was going to give up being an actor until uh, PTA asked him to be in licorice pizza. And really? so it's like, recently? yeah, yeah, no, he, he was, he was like, yeah, he was apparently like on break from uh, nightmare alley. And I don't know if it was because he was having a rough time on that set or what. But, <laughs> yeah. He was like, he was like about to bail on acting as a career and, you know, I guess maybe just direct or something, but then uh, PTA asked him to be in, and uh, licorice pizza, and, and that brought him back. That's crazy because he's very good, and he brings a lot to the table. Like, it, yeah. I mean, he, he's he also like, but as a filmmaker too. And I and there's another comment he had about having the secret weapon in A Star Is Born being Lady Gaga. Like, he is like he's humble, or he's yeah. at least seeing the context of like what. Like, I, I think that that's so valuable to understand. And like, but he's he did a good job with that movie. And it, it's like probably a pretty high degree of difficulty. That's like been a remake that's been, it's been remade like three times. Is, were they the fourth? I think they're the fourth time. So yeah. it's beloved. And, it, and it's uh, his directorial debut, which right. is and nuts. So it comes with all kinds of baggage. Plus it's like her kind of debut performing in that way. And it's, it's musical and it's just well-known stuff and he's acting in it. And, and yeah, there's a dog not, in it. it's not exactly light material like it's like it was not an easy way to start so you know that's that's tough and i so but the thing of people like people looking down at one another at these levels it's like we we were talking about imposter syndrome with robert eggers so wherever you are in your career or in the industry like it's gonna follow you that stuff and there's gonna be people looking to knock you down yeah, just just don't act, act like someone in a Christopher Guest movie. <laughs> <laughs> and Bradley Cooper, if you're listening, we're big fans and we're going to watch all your work moving forward, <laughs> acting or not. I hope he keeps acting like to your to both of your points. He's he seems like a super generous, kind person and like hopefully that's where the industry's moving because and it gets to the point. I hope it gets to the point where it's just like if somebody is behaving badly, it's just embarrassing for them. And everyone just looks around and shakes their head and like slowly <laughs> takes a step away from the person behaving badly. 
Yeah, I was. I, I don't want this to turn into the the Bradley Cooper cast, but I'm going to throw out <laughs> one more compliment his way, which is that I like the honesty of going on a podcast and talking about people in the industry treating you that way and not pretending that everybody's great and everybody loves each other and everybody's friendly. Because I think there's a trap often of falling into, there's a trap people often fall into of of trying to be politically correct within the business and avoiding being right. critical of the behaviors around them or the attitudes. And, you know, you don't have to name names, but he definitely led a tra- left a trail of breadcrumbs, like you said, Todd. <laughs> but it's still just like, yeah, I mean, I think calling people out for that stuff, it's an admirable thing to be willing to do because it holds people accountable for their behavior. And we should, like you said, like we, there's enough talent out there. There's enough people trying out there that we shouldn't have to tolerate bad behavior, in my opinion. <laughs> in my opinion. I Agreed. So no easy segue here to DJI. They had a big new release, a couple new products. Todd, do you have, do you want to give us kind of the, the, the groundwork for this in tech news? Yeah, yeah sure. Groundwork, so they, um, they came out with the RS3, the RS3 Pro and the DJI transmission. So they just kind of they made incremental updates to two of their gimbals. One of the the RS3 is just kind of like it's like a bit of a step up from the I think it was like the RSC2. So it's like just a little bit updated. Honestly, that one to me I I think they just sort of made some slight adjustments to it, but um it's not it's not really of particular interest to me because it it only holds like 6 pound camera rig, so I'm I'm more interested in like the the stuff that I can put like real big cinema glass on. But if you're, if you're running like a mirrorless or, you know, like a, something like an R5 or something like that, it, it's a perfect little, little gimbal for you. And then the RS3 Pro is where things get a little more interesting. That that has a 10 pounds payload, so you can put on some bigger stuff. And they definitely made a little bit more updates with this. It has like this really cool, like automatic locking feature for the, for the motors. So you hit like one button and everything unlocks. Uh, so it's not, you know, this kind of annoying thing where on a lot of my gimbals in the past, I've like forgotten to unlock certain motors and it starts screaming at me like, you're, I'm about to break, I'm about to overheat because you're overloading the motor. And then, uh, yeah, so the thing that I'm most excited about, uh, especially with the RS3 Pro, is they brought over the LiDAR te- technology from the Ronin 4D. So this is basically light field technology that's like, basically it can see, I think there's like 4,000 points of detection. It can see like depth like four th- maps. 43,200 within a 14 oh, meter so indoor a, area. <laughs> but you were a, close. I was a little bit off. I was a little bit off. I had the four. <laughs> you were right. <laughs> but yeah, so it's, um, I don't, if, if, if you haven't used the Ronin 4D, it's, it's like alien technology. It's the craziest thing in the world. What does where, it do? Can you, can you so, break it down? So the LiDAR common, thing, common? yeah. So the LiDAR <laughs> thing, it's, it's radar detection, like radar, uh, stuff <laughs> that um is that, that the technical term radar stuff yeah that's what the scientists call it and it's it's crazy when you look at it it gives you like a top down visual representation of what you're shooting because it it, it can sense the depth so like if what? you're shooting an interview it's the lidar field can see like the nose of the person and you you get a top down view of your scene essentially, and so like, when you're like when, the when whole you're pulling, like locations, like the the room, like you see like a floor like the plan? depth, 
okay. pretty much, but okay. not like, wow. but it's, it's from like a bird's eye view because okay. it's, it's telling you where the focus points are. So it's, it's really nuts because when you're shooting oh, and like man. you move the camera around, you can see the person's face like pop out in the, the LIDAR thing. And when you pull focus, it, it shifts around so you can, you just move your little line to the, you know, the nose or the eyes or whatever you're trying to focus on. So and, it's not and, a chalk or tape mark on your lens. It's, not a bit, it's, no. It's no. a radar. <laughs> That's fucking nuts. Okay. Yeah. I'm it's, imagining it's, like that sensor from the movie Aliens when the aliens are the crawling. Beeping? in the yeah. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And so you're like, they're here. The subject, That's, it's... It's it couldn't here. be more like pretty much what it is. Like we, we've reached a point where like even camera technology is like what we saw in movies growing up. So you can attach this thing to the gimbal and then it, they have a new focus motor. It also uses that same LiDAR technology to do autofocusing. So you can you can throw in your manual cinema glass and and uh, run around and, and the LiDAR will will keep you nice and sharp. Um, so that's that's really incredible. Yeah, and this uh, they came out with this transmission. It's like just a, a really, really dope monitor slash video transmission system where, it, you know, you get like full 60 frame per second, full HD video from like up to 20,000 feet, which is insane. And the, the monitor itself is like, it's like super bright. So you can like, you know, you can, it's just like a solid monitor. Like the one, the one that came with the Ronin 4D, same deal, 1500 nit brightness, which is like, to see outside, you need like a thousand. So it's like even brighter than that. And that what they're doing is they're, they've created this whole ecosystem. Uh, they've done a really good job. The, the the monitor and the transmitter thing all kind of plays into the Ronin 4D. And so if you had the Ronin 4D as like a B cam, and then you had your A cam on like a RS3 Pro with the LiDAR stuff, and you got, you know, your AC on the, the monitor, and he's getting the video from, from the DJI transmission. You know, it's just a whole ecosystem that's really it's going to work well and and they've made some really good strides i think to kind of move out of just being the drone people i think they're they're really putting a firm foot in the the cinema world that hadn't necessarily been there so uh yeah i think they're doing a great job i don't really care that much about the rs3 it looks like but as a at a price point the rs3 is 719 the rs3 pro is a thousand ninety nine and so you're saying that like the, the could you use the pro on a mirrorless like a smaller mirrorless like it doesn't have to just be the bigger camera you could use that one right. on either yeah, yeah you can you so, can use smaller stuff right so for only $300 more it's like a pretty significant upgrade if you're actually looking to get one of these right well and the RS3 at 719 like June has lots of gimbals at less price points that have more payload capacity and that kind of thing so you know, that's what that's for me with gimbals. The only thing I really care about is is payload because nothing is more annoying than having a rig where you can't use half your lens is because you can't balance it and all that sort of stuff. So those lower payload gimbals are always kind of invisible to me, but I'm also not I haven't really gone down the whole like nowadays you can get a, a little mirrorless camera that costs a thousand dollars that has like insane autofocus and looks just as good as anything else and i'm just too crotchety to give them a try because i'm I'm like (laughs) i want my cinema glass and all that so (laughs) yeah and if people are if people want to have that flexibility and they're really going to invest in something like this it's a mistake probably to for sure i think yeah and is the lidar a part of both or where does the no the from from what i can tell the lidar like hookup thing is only part of the rs3 pro okay 
one more reason. And I mean, I think it's probably like a weight thing too. And and you know, they have like a cool little thing where the the transmission system like latches into it really nice. And apparently it's, you know, it's like one big kind of solid piece of carbon fiber. So it's really light. So that's another thing that's important because if you do any like backpacky kind of shoots, mm-hmm. um, you know, obviously every, every pound counts. And so, uh, and a 12 hour battery, pretty good. That's, that's kind of a game changer too. So, uh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Overall pretty good release for them. All right. Well, we're going to shift gears from gimbals to Juneteenth. <laughs> a little rough on the transitions today, guys. Yeah, yeah, it's just there's no there's no Charles. So here we go. Juneteenth is today. It is a national holiday now. And I wanted to just bring up movies that kind of cover this topic and maybe educate people. It because it hasn't been national holiday for that long, I think a lot of people don't know about its significance. A while ago, back in May of 2021. I interviewed Channing Godfrey Peoples, who made a film called Miss Juneteenth. And it was a personal story. It's it's not just about Juneteenth. It's just, it's about a pageant that's wrapped up in the holiday. It's about being in, I think it's Galveston, but I could be wrong about that. But it's it's about Texas and it's about the history of the event. And it's also just an independent film. And she made it coming out of film school. It's a really good story just because she has one of those true, like, this is my, you know, again, going back to the ideas of, of imposter syndrome and what we're serving. She was like, this is a story I can tell. I have to tell. It's in me and I'm going to get it out there. And I kind of like to highlight those sometimes because I think that that is obviously relevant this week because of the holiday, but because so many people are looking for indie film, the indie film space is really dominated by like, okay, is this a different perspective or a unique perspective? And is it one that the filmmaker has that they can express just themselves? And we opened talking about that and how for someone like Robert Eggers, it's kind of like, I want to get away from that being the purpose. But like, as Gigi so eloquently put, and as we're talking about now with Miss Juneteenth and Channing, it's kind of like, well, sometimes you don't have the luxury, you know, and it's not like, you know, you're not in a position, you're in a position where you do have a unique perspective and that is important and it is underrepresented. And so that is an avenue of success. So we don't want to close those avenues off, certainly now that we're finally just opening them up to different types of perspectives. So I think uh, kind of just to balance the whole episode, but also in timing with this event, I wanted to bring that up. Um, and I'm curious, do you guys have any movies? You know, it's a big, broad topic, obviously. But if you guys had any thoughts on this or on movies that are relevant. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, uh, I've, as I've mentioned on the podcast before, I am a film school dropout on the No Film School podcast. And Charles was my professor. And one of the things that I found interesting when I took my first ever history of film class, which, you know, before taking it, I was like, I don't even want to watch a silent film. I'm above this. And I, it was incredibly humbling (laughs) to realize how much I could learn from, you know, the history of film, this class, particularly before the 1960s, but also the filmmakers that have been left out of, um, the typical film school experience. And I had a wonderful professor who went out of her way to show so many different perspectives. And the movie that everyone 
historically has watched as sort of like this monumental silent film is the birth of a nation. And I think that what I loved about this class is we did not watch that. We're like, we're not going to give fodder to this story anymore. And we instead watched um, Within Our Gates, a silent film from 1920 directed by Oscar Michaud. I think I'm saying mm-hmm. that his name yeah. correctly. And it, and it portrays the contemporary racial situation in the U.S. in the years of Jim Crow and the the Black experience. And I think that as, you know, a filmmaker, as a storyteller, like even in the film school setting, even if you're in high school film class, like you should challenge the curriculum and make sure that it is inclusive because it's there's no longer any room for excuses of like, oh, well, there wasn't that, there weren't any black filmmakers back in the silent era because that's not true. And I think we need to like look into and question things like curriculum in areas that we're learning, especially. So that's my little plug for learning about different perspectives. And also Within Our Gates is a really great film. I haven't heard of it. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, I've heard of him, but I had not heard of the film. Yeah. For me, I, I mean, obviously, there's there's a ton of movies that would would be appropriate to kind of talk about in this kind of realm. But um, I, like on a different note, I don't I don't know if you guys have heard of her name is Miss Opal Lee. She's actually in Fort Worth, which is, is close by me, and um, she is largely kind of she's been a, a huge part of Juneteenth being recognized as a national holiday. And so, what she does every year, she does like a two and a half mile walk to kind of, and she, you know, she's been doing it for, I think it's like 20 years or something. She does it symbolically every year to try and get, you know, people's attention and it's been growing and growing. And now it's this really big event every year. And yeah, I, I, I was stoked. I actually just uh, wrapped up. I, I got to do like a whole graphics package for it this year. They, they got like a big, um, like a broadcast thing going. I think it was on like NBC News and all this sort of stuff. So it was, it was a really cool experience. Um, but that's my Juneteenth thing for this year is like, I, I, I was really glad to be a part of that. And if you don't know about Miss Opali, uh, go go check her out. She's a really, really cool lady. Awesome. Thanks, guys. That's been the No Film School podcast episode for the week of June 20th. I'm George Edelman, editor-in-chief at No Film School and host. And you can find everything we talked about today and more at nofilmschool.com. Be sure to like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast. Leave a comment. Send questions to editor at nofilmschool.com. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, all that good stuff. Thanks so much for listening. And of course, I'm joined by Gigi Hawkins. Hello again. Goodbye, I guess. <laughs> uh, you can follow my work at social or on social media at Lost in Graceland. And I have a short out this week uh, that was featured on No Budge uh, that I produced called A Man's World, uh, directed <laughs> by Jens Joseph. And it's, there are cats, there are some of my favorite shots. And this is a filmmaker that I met during the shorts block of Dances with Films four, three years ago. So um, you never know where you're going to meet your next creative partner. Nice. That's awesome. And Todd Blankenship. Yes, I am Todd Blankenship. Uh, You can find me on Instagram at amifilmmaker and uh, YouTube as well. Later on, at the end of this month, if if you if any of you do any sort of VFX or CG stuff, there's actually a competition that I'm going to be a judge for uh, for Rococo. They make um, motion capture suits and stuff. And so, if you 
have a entry. Uh, basically, a it's a perfect loop challenge. If you have an entry, you should uh, hit that up and and see. They, there's like twenty thousand dollars worth of prizes and all this cool stuff going on. Wow, so. that is cool. Thanks so much, guys. 